0: Hey guys, it's Ella. You are about to hear a great episode on all the ways we numb out and what to do about it with Andrea Owen. But before we jump into this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the sound quality is not up to par. So if this is one of the first ever episodes that you are listening to on air with Ella, just know that this is not customary. The conversation was so good that I wanted to air it in its raw form. So thanks so much for your patience. And I hope you love this episode with Andrea Owen. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and I am joined by my friend, Andrea Owen. Welcome back, Andrea. This is your third appearance on the show. That makes you a regular.
1: I was hoping that I was setting a record.
0: (laughs) Um, You kind of are. You're the only person that doesn't have an MD that's been on the show three times. Well, I'll take that compliment. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I really wanted Andrea to come back on you guys because she just wrote a new book. We had her on episode 15 okay so you need to scroll way back because that one was absolutely it was such a good episode andrea that i think i rebroadcast it when i took a little time out you've been on the show four times (laughs) i'm
1: just gonna take over i'll just be the host now
0: (laughs) there's a surprise. okay andrea was also in episode 84 where she kind of kicked my ass a little bit about not having a social life so you'll have to go listen to episode 80 by the way nothing's changed (laughs) It has a little bit. You're being a
1: little hard on yourself.
0: I think it it has. All right. Because we've had dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Twice. So I want to tell a quick backstory, Andrea. Um, And then eventually, I will, in fact, let you speak. (laughs) But I think this is so interesting. I was scoping guests. This was like in the first year of podcasting. And you know, I was researching people and looking at stuff. And I just was sort of tired of the same people that you hear everywhere, to be really honest with you. And I found your blog, I'm not sure. You know how you link to somebody and then you link to somebody and then you link uh-huh. to somebody and I I'm sure you were on somebody's show. And um, I came across your blog, Your Kick Ass Life is Andrea's blog and her podcast and all things Andrea. And I came across that blog and I started reading it. I was like, I could be friends with this girl. Like I love it. And that's how you know, like you've met your people, right? In the blogosphere and podcasts is when you feel like best friends. Like my listeners know that because we're all best friends virtually. And I really, really loved your writing. And that is the very first thing that I knew about you. And then lo and behold, it turns out we're basically neighbors and now we're friends and it's been three years. But I think it's so interesting. I thought you should know that I fell in love with your writing first and your book, How to Stop Feeling Like shit, by Andrea Owen is coming out really, really, really soon. There is so much wisdom in here. And there's so many lessons that I know were hard learned for you. And first of all, thank you for getting this out into the world. And I want to deep dive into it with you today. But tell me something. Why did you write this book? Well, it's
1: kind of funny because after my first book, it's sort of like after I had my first child, I was like, there's no way I'm ever doing this again. (laughs) It was too hard the first time. (laughs) And also I felt like I had written everything I knew about personal development and and self-help in that first book. And then a couple of years went by and a, a handful of things happened. First was that I, in the summer of 2014, I went to San Antonio, Texas and was trained with Dr. Brene Brown and her senior faculty in her work. And for those listening who might not know who she is, she's a researcher and author who has dedicated her professional life to studying topics like shame and vulnerability and connection and courage, big meaty topics, Mm -hmm. right? This isn't, you know, (laughs) preschool stuff here. So they were big topics and it changed me professionally and personally studying those deeper topics. And then I also really started to pay attention to my clients' patterns and behaviors because at that point, years had started to go by and I'd worked with more and more women. I specifically work with women. And I was noticing a pattern of of a handful of behaviors. And they were things like perfectionism and overachieving, some people-pleasing, numbing out, isolating and hiding out when they were in struggle. Control was also a big one for my clients. And I sent out a survey to them in one and I asked them, hey, which one of these do you struggle with the most? And there was no clear winner, but the consensus really was, oh my gosh, we struggle with all of these. And I was over here like, yeah, me too. And that's when I really started to dig in and sat down, wrote down all of the behaviors. I came up with 14. And what I really, the message about it is not hey, Ella, here's the 14 things that you're doing wrong. You should probably fix those. Not at all. This is here's the 14 things that we're all doing. Let's all talk about it and see where we can improve our lives and also see when we you know, become so aware when we are doing these behaviors that we can get out in front of it quickly and choose behaviors that feel better to us.
0: I love it. The subtitle is actually 14 habits that are holding you back from happiness. And the, I mean, the table of contents alone is worth the read. So get on Amazon and do that thing where you just look at the table of contents. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love this. Compare and despair, the never ending mind. (laughs) It is. I I could do a whole show just reading your table of contents. I think
1: I'm very proud of that, actually. I love self-sabotage, the demolition derby of your life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Zero mentality, cynicism on steroids. I'm glad somebody called that out into the light, actually. It's a blacker way. I mean, we
1: can get into it, but that topic, it doesn't have to be blacker way. There's a medium medium ground there, a middle
0: ground. Well, I want to talk to you specifically about a chapter in your book. And it's a topic that so many of us, I would submit to you every single one of us can relate to in some way. And that is the chapter about numbing out. Andrea, can you tell me first, like, let's level set here. What do you mean when you talk about women numbing out? I'm
1: talking about the behaviors that they do in order to avoid harder things in their life. So it's whether they're avoiding a conversation, whether they're avoiding um, thinking about something that's really hard, whether they're avoiding feeling really big things. And I think we get so used to doing it. We don't even realize what we're avoiding. It, It just becomes something that we just default to. And I think that That doesn't necessarily have to be these really common things that we hear about drinking or food or, um, you know, gambling, like they can be, I've heard one expert call them shadow addictions where they are almost like the more noble things to do like work (laughs) and also the internet. It's things that we do on a regular basis that cross the
0: line into numbing out. Okay, I so want to talk to you about where that line is. But first, let's make this real for people. So give me some examples about your own experiences with this and how you how did you crack this open for yourself? How is it showing up in your life? Those people who have listened to your backstory, which we won't dive deep into that, but I highly recommend that you go listen to episode 15, because Andrea takes us on a journey in that show. But Andrea, tell me what numbing out looked like for you or what it looks like for you now, whichever is most useful.
1: Yeah. Well, I can kind of give you the brief synopsis of both of those, what it looked like then and what it looks like now. So before I was, I was severely codependent and what I know that's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And, and what that looked like for me is that I was obsessed with changing other people's behavior, more specifically the relationship that I was in at the time. It was not a great relationship. We also started dating when we were teenagers. So I think that that can sometimes add a challenge mm-hmm. when you kind of grow up in a relationship with someone. Sometimes you tend to not grow up emotionally. <laughs> you stay stuck where you are. And it's not for everyone, but that was for us. And I was obsessed with Fixing him—I'm using like air quotes over here—fixing him so that we could be fixed. I was not interested at all in looking at my own part in things. I was not interested at all in taking any kind of responsibility. Mm. And I did have my own issues, and again, I wasn't—I wasn't prepared to look at any of those. I really felt like all of my problems could be solved if other people just behaved better. So it was a huge struggle around control. I also was in and out of an eating disorder in my 20s. I was, I would heavily restrict. I was also studying uh, exercise physiology at the time and nutrition. So I could, I could look at a plate of food and fairly quickly calculate <laughs> the calories on there <laughs> and, and, you know, just obsessed with thermogenics, you know, calories in, calories out and constantly also, you know, purging with exercise. It was, it was never healthy. And, um, it was that, again, it was that obsession of, what size I was, the weight I was, how much exercise I got that day, how many calories I got that day, et cetera. And then what was kind of when oh, I was also a love addict, which is a whole you know, I could have a whole episode on that. I was unfaithful in that unhealthy relationship for for many reasons, one of which is that I confused love with, um, chasing relationships. And it was, it was all very dysfunctional. The bottom line of it is that was all very dysfunctional. So finally my life kind of fell apart when I was about 31. I got help for those things. I was in 12 step programs. I was in intensive therapy, lots of, lots of books and workshops and things to really shine the light on it and do the work that it took to, to not be symptomatic anymore over there. That's when I started drinking. (laughs) I'm like, I'll just trade you. <laughs> and that's common. That's really common with um, with addicts. And I, I, I absolutely identify as an addict. Thankfully, I never got too much into drugs. And I, and I definitely could have been one of those statistics. I just never chose that. And what ended up happening is, is I didn't need drinking before that when I was codependent and a love addict and my eating disorder, I could always kind of take it or leave it. And, and it, it really was interesting. Ella, like the minute I practically, the minute I let go of those other behaviors and started to heal, my drinking picked up. I also had two small children at the time. And luckily for me, I realized I was an alcoholic and within a few months, I chose sobriety. My father had gotten sober when I was 18. I knew very much what a high functioning alcoholic looked like. And I knew what would happen to me if I kept drinking. And so I quit. And now, you know, and I, and I definitely went through that phase, like the first year of my sobriety, where I was somewhat angry that I'm like, you mean I don't have anything? (laughs) I have to actually feel my feelings. And that 2011 was a huge growth for me. And, and still, you know, now in 2017, 2018, and actually learning how to feel my feelings instead of numbing them out. Now I have to be careful again for for work. I tend to obsess on things. Um, planning is another big one for me and the internet. I can scroll and scroll and just I pick my head up and be like, Whoa, where am I? <laughs> I don't
0: even know what's going on in my life because I'm, I'm stuck with my nose in my phone. I think this is so relatable on so many levels. So some people have had, you know, really dramatic stories and can relate to some of the highs and the lows that you're sharing. And then other people are like, you know, my life has not had such dramatic highs and lows, but I don't know a single person that is sharing in this conversation with us that has been uncomfortable feeling their feelings, that has looked for other outlets rather than feeling their feelings has avoided uncomfortable situations or dealing with matters that they know they need to deal with interpersonally or within themselves and i don't even know if we know to call it that like i think it's absolutely amazing that you're describing like really significant powerful experiences in, in your life and they all came down to the same root cause which is you didn't want to sit with your feelings i think that uh-huh. i think that insight alone must have cracked your world open
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, what's interesting is, and I think that this is common too. I grew up in a family, like we were, we were functionally dysfunctional. There was no abuse. There was no, like my parents never yelled at each other or like rarely yelled at me. I grew up in a home with a lot of love and attention and affection. And so when I started to grow up and kind of realize like, I'm pretty dysfunctional. And I would, I I would hear other people's family of origin stories. And, and I'm like, I didn't grow up like that. But in hindsight, what I realized is I grew up in a family that did not know how to talk about the hard stuff. They did not know my parents, God bless them. They did the best they could, but they didn't know how to be with their own feelings. How were they supposed to be with mine? When I was growing up, if you had something hard going on, you went and dealt with it in your room by yourself. There was just no room for it. And so I grew up, I remember sitting in therapy when I was 18 because my parents got divorced right when I graduated high school. Like, surprise, we've been having problems for four years and we never told you we're getting divorced. I'm like, what? So they sent me to therapy and I remember sitting in her office. Oh, and by the way, like I made a goal not to cry in therapy. Like I wore that as my badge of honor, P.S. But also she said to me, because she was also seeing my parents as, you know, they navigated their own troubles and got divorced. And she said, you know, your mom doesn't really... Um, your mom has a hard time talking about her emotions. And I remember looking at my therapist and thinking, I might've even said it out loud, like, is there another way? Like, do family, I was very confused by that. Like, like, I I didn't know that there was any other way to communicate other than to sweep everything under the rug and not talk about it. It was so incredibly uncomfortable for me in every essence of it. It was so uncomfortable for me to think, That my parents were in pain. It was so uncomfortable for me to think that I might actually have to talk to them about it. Like, get me out of here quick! I don't want anything to do with that. So as I grew into my adult relationships, friendships, and romantic relationships, I I didn't have a lot to stand on. You know, (laughs) I didn't have any tools, so it was kind of a mess.
0: Where's the line? Because a lot of the things that we talk about when we talk about numbing out and checking out, right, by by engaging in some other activity or active passivity, if you will. We've talked about everything from alcohol and food. I think people can relate to a lot, you know, eating their feelings, Um, shopping, you've mentioned gambling and work. And of course, there's exercise. And then there's the, you know, the Facebook scroll for three hours, which is now like the new Pinot Noir, apparently. (laughs) All of these things, busyness, where's the line then between numbing and actually Things that you enjoy and dabble in and are healthy because you need to chill out for a minute. There's a spectrum, I know. How do you help distinguish between the ends of that spectrum?
1: Well, yeah, it's, you know, because a lot of the things that we do to numb out are the same things that we use for self-care and comfort. Yeah. So how do we know? And my really professional, profound answer is, I don't know. (laughs) I would like my money back, please. I want my $12 back from my book. No, and I say that in the book. I think that people generally know. I think that if you sit down in your discomfort and commit to telling the truth with a capital T, then you will, I I can almost guarantee that you're going to get to it. Because, you know, a couple of squares of dark chocolate can be comfort for you, but when are you doing it mindlessly like are you actually enjoying it I'll give you another example and this isn't really a matter of self-care but I know and you know sometimes our numbing mechanisms can be things that make us really productive and successful like for me it's planning I am always thinking so far ahead and so efficient I don't want to drop the ball anywhere so I am good at planning things out in advance there's so there's no
0: surprises busyness <laughs> is like, Busyness and productivity are like the most noble ways to completely check out of what's important Exactly, you're so busy, you're so productive. And I mean, and what you've done for yourself, and I'm entirely guilty of this too, is you've created something that's infinite. Like you'll never not have that. Like you can plan, why plan three months ahead? <laughs> let's let's plan six. Like it's never over a well, year, right? <laughs> it's never over. And so, and, and that is so noble. I mean, who's going to ding you in this thing called life, Right. For, for being proactive and busy. But the truth is we're just hiding some of the times. Yeah.
1: So for me, it's I notice when I'm doing it when I am, I'm all caught up on everything I need to do and I am sitting there, you know, planning out my podcast schedule for the next four months. And really, I end up wasting more time than I'm being productive because I am just trying to avoid the discomfort of my life. And sometimes that discomfort is just stress of parenting. Sometimes it's just anxiety of being a parent in general. Sometimes it's, you know, I'm feeling disconnected from my husband and I should probably go spend some time with him. And, you know, there's always that, I don't, I know this isn't for everyone, but for me, it's, there's always that, old, old trauma belief, like, well, what if he rejects me? You know, like we've been married for like almost 11 years, pay attention to yourself. Stop yourself every once in a while, shut the laptop and ask yourself, is there anything really going on that you're trying to avoid? Sometimes it's just the boringness of life. I mean, does anybody really talking about this? Sometimes life is boring. It really is. It's uneventful. It's
0: (laughs) yeah. It's unstimulating.
1: It's unstimulating. And that can be uncomfortable. We live in a world that we are constantly being bombarded with noise and and notifications, et cetera, et cetera, to actually sit in the quiet and the discomfort and just the presence of other people can be very uncomfortable. So my question becomes: are you avoiding that? And if you are have the ability to dig deeper right now, what else are you avoiding? For me, and this was very much in retrospect. This was not something I was conscious of at the time. I was avoiding old grief. I was avoiding family of origin stuff, uh, just the the feelings of not feeling like I wasn't good enough. and And those kind of like deeper, bigger things that I think most of us have deep down, I was not ready to face any of that, didn't want any part of it.
0: So the first thing that we have to do is even acknowledge that numbing is taking place, I suppose, and, and trying to figure out how it's showing up in our life.
1: Yeah. Try to figure out how it's showing up in your life. And then I think for many, the big question is, you know, I hear this a lot in personal development and you'll, you'll hear like a life coach or experts say, what is it that you're really hungry for? And I think that can be the hardest question to answer for people. Cause most people are like, I have no idea. I have no idea what it is that I really want. I just, I want to check out. I hear this a lot. I just want a mini vacation. You know, that's what a lot of people say who who come home and have a glass or four of wine a night. I just want to check out. I just want to make it all go away. I want to make all of the stress go away. Basically, when we're numbing out, the bottom line of it is that we're trying to change the way that we feel. We are uncomfortable somewhere, so we're trying to change that. My question then becomes... What is, what are you, what is the problem that you're trying to solve through this whole numbing out? Sometimes you can answer that question. Sometimes you can't just throwing it out there for the audience.
0: I think even just being willing to ask yourself that question will reveal something to you. I just, I just don't think that if you spend the time trying to create awareness around this, that you won't get any answers. If self-care all the way to numbing is a spectrum, right? Is Mm -hmm. the question just where do I begin to like disassociate like leave my body <laughs> like where yeah because I'll give you an example I can have a glass of wine for a minute and I'm not a big drinker at all so like a glass of wine represents nothing to me that I have to have or think about you know prior to having it and so I can have a glass of wine enjoy it and it helps me like Zen out and enjoy the moment and chill out. And I'm thinking, is there anything wrong with that? I'm literally doing that once a month, maybe. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. And it's delightful. So that doesn't feel like something I'm disassociating from my body and like leaving my body and leaving all awareness behind. It sounds like that might be totally okay. That sounds like self-care. Because I have so many things on the other side of the spectrum, like too many to count. But then I'm thinking, oh, let's think about my relationship with food. Okay. So sometimes I eat for fuel. And sometimes I eat because, you know, it's, it's dinner time. And then sometimes I eat because I'm bored. And sometimes I eat because I'm between activities. And sometimes I eat because I'm stressed literally food itself is the spectrum for me. Yeah.
1: And as I think it is for so many people, and I just I just want to say this real quick because it's something that's close to my heart and I think it's worth saying. It, in, in terms of drinking, for anyone listening who thinks that they might have a problem, one of the defining things about the quote unquote problem is the obsession on it. So I can pretty much guarantee and speak for you that you don't think about drinking a lot, right? Like you just don't. It doesn't cross your mind.
0: Oh, me? No, uh-uh.
1: Yeah. Okay. So for me, it wasn't necessarily the drinking that was getting me in trouble. You know, I wasn't going out to bars and and getting drunk and like dancing on the bar in my song. It was during the day. Except that
0: one time. Except that
1: one time. (laughs) (laughs) No, maybe in my twenties. But, (laughs) but for me, you know, I, there I was in my mid thirties with two kids at home and I was starting to, you know, I would, I would have rules around drinking and I would think about drinking, a lot. Even when I wasn't drinking. You were thinking so it, about
0: not drinking. And you were thinking about not thinking, look not, at me not, not drinking. Drink. Right. Like, I'm gonna
1: cut back. I think I should cut cut back. Maybe this isn't normal. How many drinks? It's just this constant mind spinning of about drinking or the feelings around drinking. So I just wanted to say that to get it, to get it um out there for anyone that's struggling. And But food for sure. Food is food is complex and complicated because it's one of those things that we actually do need. I know you can't give it up.
0: Damn it. You can't can't give it up.
1: (laughs) You can't.
0: Because what you're describing that drinking was for you, the obsession of like, look at me not drinking right now, (laughs) or Mm -hmm. managing your mindset around it the whole damn time. Do you know how many people can just pull out? A lot of people can relate to the alcohol and a lot of people can just take the word alcohol, replace it with food or exercise. Like those are kind of the three big ones.
1: Yeah, and the thing is too is that the jury is still out on what is the best way to heal from that and manage that. And I'm not going to pretend I'm the expert in that. I think that that is a complex issue that varies, you know, by the person. And there are plenty of podcasts out there <laughs> where the people are the experts. But I, I know that, you know, for some people, even Overeaters Anonymous is well, that's just another way to diet. It's just another way to restrict. And so, um, all that to say. I wish I had all of the answers for everyone, <laughs> but it's I know it's it's complicated.
0: It is complicated, but I have this faith, Andrea, that awareness and asking the questions and being willing to be accountable is like literally 90% of the ball game.
1: So awareness yeah, is 90% of the ball game whether you're talking about food, whether you're yep. talking about any of the other behaviors really anything in personal development. And that's, that's what I like to like hammer home for people. Like I want the win for you to be that you are aware of what you're doing and that you are kind to yourself along the way. Cause I call it the ultimate ass kicker. Like when we are become aware of our behaviors and then we beat ourselves up for it. I'm
0: like, ah, <laughs> wait, do I want to be an ultimate ass kicker or not? Cause it sounds really aspirational. <laughs> it sounds very like, um, like what are those like ultimate, um not ultimate yeah, like, fighting but like ultimate ninja warrior right <laughs> yeah so do you do i want to be one or not i think i got confused
1: <laughs> my definition no you don't want to okay 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 okay
0: <laughs> so you actually brought this home for me in your book in a way that really like it really moved me i underlined it i gave it a star i put a box around it and then i wrote read <laughs> okay <laughs> at another date. I think I was telling myself to read this to everybody because I found it quite powerful. So here we go. When we numb, we walk away from ourselves. The bottom line is that we're walking away from our humanity. From the expectations we can't live up to, to the stories we make up about how our life should be, from the speed at which we think we should be able to, quote, deal with this shit, to the approval we deep down seek from everyone. Because to sit in all of that, to sit with our flawed humanity is uncomfortable and uncertain and scary. But that's all we have. And that's our solution. One of the reasons that moved me so much is we are starting to be able to identify what our triggers are. And we're starting to be able to identify some of the ways we numb out. And we're also starting to ask ourselves questions like, well, how do we actually want to feel? And, you know, how do we want to show up in this world? But You, I love learning new things. And what you open my eyes to is that we're walking away from the things that are hard and the things that are hard or boring or not something, right? The things that are lacking, they are just as important to this fabric that we call life as all of the upside. Like you can't even have the upside without the downside. And we seem to be fighting against nature the whole time. I don't know. I don't know. Tell me about this.
1: No, you're absolutely right. We are fighting against nature. And I was, I was one of those people for a long time. And trust me, if there was a different way to do it, I would have hacked into it by now. I truly believe that I am smart and efficient and productive enough to have figured it out. And I think there's a lot of people that have come before me that have tried to figure it out too. And we all keep coming up with the same <laughs> solution Damn it. is that, is that <laughs> it, you have to be with all of this stuff. And I mean, I just told the story. I, I tried all different ways to not be with it. And I, you know, if you look at, if you look at it from a, from like kind of the metaphor of just like walking through it, I tried going around it and, you know, walking backwards through it or going above it. I mean, that looked like control. It looked like numbing out with, um, you know, trying to control my body and my weight. It looked like numbing it out with alcohol and and relationships. And the truth of it was, Is that that at the end of the day, I had to look at all of this pain that I had from my life. And it was things like contending with feeling not good enough and, you know, and comparing myself to other people and feeling like I didn't measure up, dealing with the disappointments of other people. You know, we all have expectations of other people that they have not met. We all have expectations of ourselves that we have failed to meet. That can be devastating at times. And most of us, no, I shouldn't say most of us, many of us go through life with all these pains and all these hurts, whether they are small ones that add up, whether they are big ones that add up, and we stuff them away. That's why they call it baggage. We pack our bag, (laughs) carry it around into our different relationships. It's like, you want that stuff to come up? Go get into a relationship, go get into a romantic relationship and get triggered all over the place. <laughs> you want to see your, you know, like get irritated with someone, get, get into an argument with someone like, ha- have you ever been in an argument? And, like halfway through, you realize like that it doesn't have anything to do with your partner. And, like, <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, this uh, is so like my three stuff. hours
0: ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is so my stuff. One of the most adult things I've ever done is stopped myself in those moments with my husband and said, oh my God this has nothing to do with you. I am so sorry. This is my stuff. I got totally triggered. And, um, and I'm sorry. You want to see a shocked look on someone's face? take responsibility for your stuff. And that's what it was. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was like all rainbows and positive affirmations. That is some of the hardest work I've had to do is to look at my own flawed humanity and know that I'm not alone. I'm. That's why I started my blog in 2008. And I'm like, I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one. Turns out I'm not. And we all have pain. We all have struggle. And one of the steps that you can take to heal from this is talk to one other human being that you trust mm-hmm. about the, the really hard stuff, the grief that you feel, the frustrations that you feel, the feeling of not not measuring up, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. That's one step in the right direction.
0: Well, what's cool about what you did in this book is you share the 14 habits, right? That are holding us back. But then in every chapter, unless I'm mistaken, you you give real actionable tools and how to fix it. Yeah,
1: in every chapter, there's, there's tools and a lot of them overlap. And then also at the end of each chapter, there's questions like journaling questions for people to ask themselves because I did not want this to be a self-help book where I'm just talking at you. And then you read it and you're like, that's a lot of good information that I'm not gonna do anything with. I wanted people to have something to actually do because I think that people do that and feel better about themselves for five minutes. They consume and consume and consume all the podcasts, all the self-help books, you know, and
0: but they're not actually changing their life at all. In fact, I love that you point out that a lot of people use this thing called self-help and they use that as their numbing mechanism. They use it to numb out. Mm -hmm.
1: It's noble. It's again, one of those, it's like exercise. One of those noble things, people do that with religion too. People do that in recovery.
0: (laughs) It's everything you hide behind
1: everything you hide behind and it's the scariest thing ever to i mean actually feeling your feelings and oh my god sharing it with someone else it is like stripping down naked at the mall and spinning around like the sound of music you know like that is pretty vulnerable it's so scary and i'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's that it's not even me people i write about this and i um, you know, people, people say to me like, Oh, you're so brave for sharing your story on podcasts and things like that. And I'm like, that doesn't feel brave to me. That is like me hiding behind my computer and telling my story. And I really don't have to talk to very many people about it. What is some of the bravest work I've had to do is having those hard conversations with my husband, having those hard mm-hmm. conversations with my mom, apologizing to my children after I have messed up. Like that, that is the real work that we do is the work that you do with yourself and the work that you do with the people you care about the most.
0: You are so right. And that is so hard. It
1: is so hard. I wish it was easier. Can we find an easier
0: way? (laughs) (laughs) So the truth is, the hard truth is that the only way to let go of those feelings, I think, or that's not even the right words is to let them pass through you, right? Like to let them happen and let them continue on. I mean, you feel (laughs) the feeling and you let it go
1: feel the feelings. And I have several tools in that particular chapter about like, cause people are like, I don't even know what that means. And they're like afraid to even ask like, and say, like, I don't know what that means because we've gotten so used to completely numbing them out. We don't even, we've become masterful at it. So we don't even know what that actually is. And and here's something I hear a lot that I think your listeners might resonate with is people tend to be so afraid to walk into the hard stuff because they fear, they have this like core belief that if I open up Pandora's box, I don't know if I'm ever going to stop crying. I don't know if I can walk through that. They are so afraid of the fire. They are mm. afraid they will burn up and will never be the same afterwards. And I, I I know what that feels like. I absolutely know what that feels like. And you just don't trust yourself enough. You don't trust yourself enough to walk through it. I can assure you that we are all fireproof. And is it going to burn like hell? Yes. but we are resilient. We are born resilient. You will make it. It will be hard, but have just a, a percentage of trust in yourself enough and hopefully trust in another human that they can bear that with you.
0: Andrea, this is why your book is so important to people is because first of all, like. It can't possibly be true because if it were, then nobody would exist. Like Anybody who's trying to do the hard work. (laughs) (laughs) At like age four. (laughs) So I told you guys, Andrea and I talk all the time. And I left Andrea a message the other day and I was like, I'm just so proud of you. And I know that's the wrong word because I'm not your mother, but I'm so proud of you. And the truth is what lights me up is the idea that anyone listening to this or anyone who gets a hold of your book or anyone that crosses paths with any resource that speaks into their life that they would have just a glimpse of their own potential and that they would have just a glimpse of belief in themselves and their ability to make it through i just the idea that that this will play any role in that and that this work that you're doing and this book that you wrote will play any role in that it just must be terribly rewarding, but anyway, it's my pleasure and my honor to share it with the world. Oh,
1: thank you. I I'm I'm really proud of it. I really am. And it's a good thing, right? Because it's going out into the world.
0: <laughs> that's bad if that's happening. Wasn't. Hey, so what is the deal with this book club that you're doing around the book? What is that about?
1: Yes, I'm doing a book club because I mean raise your hand if you have bought a self-help book and never read it. hand raised, raised. or if you have bought a self-help book and read it so quickly that you just consume the information, like you're starving and then like put the book on your shelf and you check it off the box.
0: Stop judging me.
1: What I wanted is for people that this truly, truly resonated with, again, read the the, cha- the table of contents to see which chapters resonate with you the most, and come on over to a free book club that I'm hosting and guiding people through. It starts on January 22nd. It's four weeks long. We're going through every single chapter I'm doing, Facebook Lives and that, and answering questions, and it's just going to be an amazing group of women supporting each other in this. Sorry, guys. I love the men folk, but this one is for the ladies, and people can find that and a link to buy the book at Your Kickout life.com slash H T S F L S. It's the acronym for the book, how to stop feeling like.
0: Okay. I have a question. I bought the book on Amazon. Can I still be a part of the club? Of
1: course. Yeah. So you just go to that page and click on claim bonuses. And then you just like type in that you bought the book on Amazon. And yeah, even if you bought it via audiobook or e-reader. So join us be fun.
0: For sure. I'll be there. Okay. Andrea, thank you so, so much for sharing this with everybody. And sorry, I got all mushy at the end, but you know, I love (laughs) you. Andrea, I'm feeling my feelings. (laughs) You are. I know there's hope for you yet. (laughs) All right. I'm going to go have a glass of wine. See you later. Bye. Bye.